Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. How do you measure health in the church? What do we use as the best metric for God being active in a church and for church being successful and fulfilling God's mission on earth today? On The Scent Life, we want to ask those questions, answer those questions, and deal with the topic of sending, growing, evangelism, missions, and how all that fits with the church. So welcome to The Scent Life. Hey, Keelan, what's happening? Hey, Scott. Not much. Yeah, well, same old, same old. Welcome to the semester, the middle of the semester. How are right. things going? Good, good. We uh, recently have got back from our fall break trip. We had some uh, very uh, encouraging conversations uh, about the work that was done uh, on that trip as a college trip. And uh, we had a number of our students who I think had some significant moments of clarity concerning their own calling. So wow. good stuff. That's good. That's why we do short-term missions so students can kind of ask God, Hey, what's your will for my life? How do I follow God's will? Some of them end up staying in North America, pastoring, church planting, being part of church. Some feel God's call overseas. So glad you guys are still doing that. That's right. Hey, today's a great day. We're excited. Today we've got our friend uh, Andrew Hopper in the studio. Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad that Andrew agreed to join us for this one. So Andrew, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, man. I appreciate you guys. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so Andrew is the lead pastor of Mercy Hill Church in the big metropolis of Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, Andrew, we are super guy. Talk to us just a minute, if you would. Tell us about your church, about your ministry, about Greensboro as a town and what God's doing there, because God's really doing some great stuff through your church and through your leadership there. Yeah, man, we are, uh, we're super blessed. Um, we've, we've been at the years. We planted the church in 2012. Um, and we brought 30 people from the Raleigh-Durham area. There was a few Southeastern grads, so we have a huge connection with the seminary. Uh, we were all in a local church, the Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham, and we moved about an hour and a half down the road to plant a brand new autonomous church. I was 28 years old. My wife and I had two kids. We were probably among the more se- the most seasoned, you know, just in kind of life life stage. I mean, two young kids and we had both worked full time. And uh, I mean, most of our team was young professionals and college students and a few of the guys that came from Southeastern. And so, man, we just we just jumped in with both feet. You know, it's funny looking back now because our church just celebrated 10 years last year. And so it was a really sweet time of, of bringing back, you know, our launch team and, and all that. God just used them in incredible ways. I tell everybody, man, I moved I moved to Greensboro for a job. There's not a ton of honor in that. But we had 30 people that moved their lives and got new jobs. They sold houses and got apartments. We had college students that had uh, job offers all over the country and turned them down to come and landscape and paint houses in order to be part of the movement. And man, God used them in just an incredible way. But man, from the very beginning, you know, we just had a real eye on the connection that we'll be talking about, you know, maybe later today and even with our conference on, you know, church growth and then what it would produce in terms of sending. So we had no problem from the very beginning, attaching numbers and goals and saying, man, we want to beat the odds and we want to be a church that five years from now is is gathering hundreds of people and baptizing people. And man, we just had big goals and vision around that about what God could do 
And he's really done it. I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, I, I speak out of both sides of my mouth, guys, because I say on one hand to our people, I think God's only scratched the surface of what he wants to do. And I believe that. But at the same time, he already has done more than we can ask or imagine in a lot of ways. So our uh, our church, yeah, we, we're we a multi-site church now in five different locations. And we've seen God just do incredible things. We've probably seen 1,500 baptisms in the last 10 years. You know, we've been able, I mean, that you know, those are, but those things have fueled, you know, the growth has fueled what we get even more excited about sometimes, which is the sending arm. I and mean, we have people from our church that are all over the world serving with the IMB, serving with other other agencies. And then we've also uh, we've also had a chance to plant. We've planted five churches. Now, we've, we've partnered with dozen churches, probably partner planted, but we parent planted, which we make a big distinction in that, uh, five churches in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Roanoke, Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia, Waynesville, North Carolina, and Tampa, Florida. And those are not Mercy Hill, you know, names or brand. They're fully autonomous churches. Those are just so we have the five campuses in, in Raleigh in, in the triangle or triangle in the triad. And then we have these other five churches that we planted that are our family. We call them the Mercy Hill family. And we have a big vision, man. We really believe one day there's going to be more worshipers in the family of churches than in the flock at Mercy Hill. So, you know, we kind of have this man, one church in many locations in the triad. But then we sort of have this one family in many cities. You know, and we're hoping one day that we're going to end up having, you know, multiple families kind of in one bigger, broader network. So that's that's still yet to come. But, uh, man, church is heavily focused on adoption, foster care. That's a huge focus for us. A big focus on sending. Uh, we have an incredible team. Uh, we have an extension site from Southeastern that's fully integrated. You know, so we're very grateful for that. So that hopefully some of that just you're trying to figure out what. Lane, camp, feel, whatever. I don't know what you call all that, but that's that's who we are. So that's great. And you know, Andrew, one of the exciting things about Mercy Hill, and of course we've known about you guys and worked with you guys for years, but one of the most exciting things is that yours that yours is a church that really is bucking the statistic. You know, our statistics in the Southern Baptist Convention, our statistics among evangelical churches are that 80, upwards of 80, 90% yeah. of churches are plateaued, they're declining, they're struggling to survive. And so it's always exciting to mm -hmm. hear from a pastor about a church in a normal town that just is really growing and seeing God do, kind of God do some amazing things in and through your church. So what a great celebration of, of you guys and what God's doing there. And again, kind of hope that, you know, in the state of North Carolina, we see a lot of churches that aren't like yours, uh, that there's hope the church can do that. There absolutely is. And and we say it all the time at Mercy Hill. And I do think this matters, kind of what you brought up. I, one of the things that really matters in that is what our what our expectations are and what our hope is and what we're actually trying to do. It's very hard if way upstream in our consciousness, some kind of way we feel icky about church growth, multiplication, multi-site, whatever, multiple services. Like if we feel icky about that a mile upstream in our heart, it will work its way out into the things that we go after. It's right. it's impossible to run as hard as you can after growth if some kind of way upstream you feel like that's icky or you're not supposed to talk about it or it's too corporate. Um, talk, you know, and so I think that there is a connection there. Now, the other, the other thing obviously is anything that we've seen at Mercy Hill is just an absolute grace of God, but I have no problem saying, man, we have prepared the jars for this forever and we're going to continue to do so. And it's up to God to fill them. He can do whatever he wants, man. It's his church. 
He could have blown our church up 10 times the size it is right now, or it could be 10 times less the size it is right now. That is not on me at all. That's not on our team. It's not on our elders. We cannot control that. What we can control is what we're trying to do. And man, what we're trying to do is see a bunch of people get saved and baptized, have so many people that we can't figure out what to do with them, multiply services, figure out leaders, plant other churches. Um, you know, that we are, you know, people are like, how can you say, I, I mean, what we're trying to do is see the size of Mercy Hill double. Right. Love it to see. I'd love to see it double, double the double everything about it. You know, I mean, I'm I'm waking up in the morning thinking of. I mean, our big goal at Mercy Hill is to see five thousand baptisms and five hundred missionaries by 2032. It's awesome. So people, I've heard people say that's not spiritual, and it's like, well, I, what else am I supposed to be going after? You know, sorry, go ahead. No, so uh, I really like the way you just hung those two things together. Right, you said five thousand baptisms, which is frequently what we would consider a quote-unquote, church growth statistic, right? And then you said 500 missionaries. That's what we, when we get into the whole sending culture language and the sending language, we start talking and how many people did we send, how many missionaries have we had. You've danced around this some in the way you've been talking about it. I think it would be helpful to unpack I mean, your philosophy on how church growth and sending culture, they actually perhaps go together instead of being ideas that we should pit against one another. Absolutely. I mean, you're just nailing it exactly right on the head. Um, this is just empirical. You look at any network of church plants and you will see that the ones who are planting the most are also the ones that are growing. Um, they're also growing the most. I mean, it's just the exact opposite of the way, way people think about it. I'll tell you another thing. When people say, well, you know, like, like we're a multi-site church and I, that's not a hill I would die on. If I thought there was a better way to do church growth right now, I would do that. But I feel like it's the best thing for us. Here's the Here's the thing to your point. People will say, well, your church grows. Why don't you just plant a church? And what they don't understand is that church planting is not an answer for a church growth problem. Those mm. are two different things. Yeah. The church growth fuels the church plant. The church planting will never fix the problems that you're having in church growth. But if you're not growing, you have no chance of planting sustainably. Yes, you can do it once, maybe every five, seven years, something like that. But sending out leaders, it, there's a prerequisite of you're already calling up more people. This became crystal clear to me when we hit 10 years at Mercy Hill. And I'm going to throw out numbers now. Listen, we are in a big city. I mean, comparatively in North Carolina. Okay. So the numbers, if somebody is in Eastern North Carolina, they're in the mountains. This, th So the numbers are not the point. You know, the point is the trajectory of, of what we're trying to do and the connections that we saw. Here's what we saw to not belabor it. At 10 years, I started looking at our numbers. I already knew something like this was true. I didn't know how true it was going to be. And by the way, I've checked this in about 10 other churches now, and they're all going to be the same if you have a sending mindset. At 10 years old, we had seen 150 missionaries. That's people that are leaving for two years or more, whether they're going with a church plan or overseas. We had seen 1,500 baptisms, and we had seen 15,000 first-time guests. Wow. And I looked at that and I said, man, I already knew that, but I didn't know it was that crystal, but it absolutely is that crystal clear. Man, if you want to see one missionary, you need to baptize 10. And if you want to see one baptism, you need to see 10 first time guests walk through the door. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the the place that we've gotten, and I could name, we could get into this if you don't want to. I've, I've got a bunch of examples of it where sending is celebrated, growth is demonized. It's, you know, it's just like in the business world, man. We celebrate generosity, but we demonize business growth. It's crazy. Um, right. You know, one is the currency for the other. 
sending capacity is more important than seating capacity. I do believe that. But for sending capacity, there is nothing more important than seating capacity. Yeah. So if we're constantly saying sending capacity, sending capacity, sending capacity, we could help people lose sight of, bro, if you want to see sending, you have to see seating. You know, it's a it's a hundred to one. Man, when I see a hundred, you know, when I see a hundred first time guests walk through the door, I know currently in our numbers, a few years from now, we may see one of them go off, go out, you know, to North Africa, Middle East, or to Southeast Asia, or just go on one of our church plants. Um, yeah. and so it's focusing on that lead of growth and not not demonizing, man, evangelism, whether it's one-on-one, which happens some, or whether it's man, it's in the gathering, which happens a lot more inviting people in hundreds of people coming things like vacation bible school huge days like easter whatever it is all the church growth stuff you know that's kind of demonized like man that stuff is what ends up helping us see baptisms and eventually sending yeah so real quick man why don't you just um kind of follow that that line of thinking why is it that you think in our current context the southern baptist convention or among evangelicals that church growth is often viewed with distaste where sending is viewed as the kind of the the, the priority uh, we know sending obviously fulfill the great commission reach out mm-hmm. but why is it do you think that people pit those two against one another and why is it that so many people feel like they need to apologize about uh about mm-hmm. growth as a as a metric for health I, I mean this is this is this is one man's opinion and um I, I don't know that anybody, I don't know how you would track down, you know, right. to know if you're totally right. But my opinion is, and I didn't live through this because I didn't plant my church till 2012, but it feels like there was a massive movement towards mega and church growth stuff in the 90s, late 80s, 90s, and it didn't have a sending component. And it feels like that a lot of the churches like the Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham, like, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of the people that they, they started talking about sending. And we know that intuitively, man, we know that's right if we're Bible people. It's like, right. that is right, you know. And so we we kind of jumped on that train. Um, but somewhere in the somewhere in that, that connection got severed. And my, um, this is getting pretty deep, my, my thought on it is that it's gotten deep through network leaders, through missiologists, through, you know, different, uh, the man, the conference circuit. And, I'm, and I've learned a lot from this stuff. So I'm not, I'm not throwing it all under the bus, but a very common theme that has been my whole ministry life is that if your evangelism strategy is your people invite other people into your gathering and you hear the gospel, that it's wrong, it's not unleashing their giftings, it's it's not as cool. It's not as good. It's not going to be the way forward. The next iteration is one on one. It's it's every believer is a missionary, and that means that they are the ones that have the you know evangelistic giftings, and they go out and man, that's just that is what has been propped up forever and ever and ever in my ministry life over the last ten or fifteen years. Like if you were to go to a, a, a you know discipleship conference or evangelism conference and just say, hey guys, here's my strategy. My strategy is to get our people to go out and invite their friends to come and hear the gospel and get them into the life of our church. And yes, it's people discipling them, but it's very programmatic. And we feel like if they'll get in the stream, they'll move in the discipleship current. Like this whole thing about discipleship, man, it's like people say, who do, who discipled you? And if, and if you stagger or stumble, they're like, well, you're not being discipled. I think that's just totally false. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. man, if, if somebody says who discipled you, if you got a list that's less than a hundred people in five organizations and a bunch of, what do you mean who discipled me? 
you know? So I, I think that movement to one-on-one, I, I'm not demonizing why it came about, but mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's crazy to me. I, I look at it and I go, okay, we talk about the same conference. We'll talk about how the Southern Baptist Convention has lost a million members in the last four years, or I don't know, whatever it is. And then at the same time, we'll be talking about how, you know, trying to gather people together to hear the gospel is something that's not nearly as good as your layperson sharing it on a college campus, to which I say 99% of everybody who got saved in the New Testament did so when there was a spirit-empowered man preaching to a massive crowd. And so how can we get from there? You know, what I've heard is like, man, you know, we need to do this relational evangelism and we need to like, you know, meet people. And three years later, you share the gospel with them after you've won their trust. Um, And I'm like, well, that never happened one time in the whole New Testament. I mean, I mean, sure, there was a lot of one on one encounters. Actually, that's not true. There was a few one on one encounters in the New Testament, but they all happened within 30 seconds of meeting somebody. Lydia, the Samaritan woman, you know, the Philippian jailer, like I get it. But 99% of the people got saved when somebody with the Spirit stood up and preached the gospel. So to me, it's funny. It's like, yeah, we've lost all these members, but we've also kind of demonized what seems like the biblical pathway for the most people hearing and, and all that. And so, you know, I I just think for me and like our network, I've been I've I've tried to become a little more outspoken. I'll tell you what happened. I went to a conference, this thing in Florida, and they brought a lot of larger church guys in and um, man, it was just kind of a little bit of a last straw. Like I, I was getting lectured for like a day and a half from our entities about how all these churches that were getting it done in their convention and in their, we're doing it the wrong way. What we're doing is outdated. It's never going to go forward. You're making cogs in a wheel. I, th- there was a statement that was made and that, and that and the guy said, I want the church to get back to helping make disciples rather than staying in the way of making disciples. And I just, that was the moment where it snapped in my head. And I was like, brother, if you took the church out of Greensboro, it would be hell in two seconds. So what, what is this? What is, what do, what do you mean we're not making disciples? You know, I see disciples everywhere I go, people that are mature. They've been produced by churches who apparently didn't know how to do it. Um, And so, you know. Uh, Andrew, so I think you've got some excellent stuff that you've said here. And a really important point that I think you're making is you lay out how some of this has happened. Uh, in the past, perhaps, uh, in order to elevate a thing that was felt to or perceived to be lost by some people, this idea of personal evangelism. Uh, we've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater, right? Maybe we have uh, pitted against, uh, in order to elevate personal evangelism, we pitted against it, this idea of you know inviting people to church and them getting to hear in a large group gathering a good evangelistic call and being uh, brought to Christ through that. And so I think there's uh, probably something to be teased out there. And to that point, you uh, you guys have a conference coming up where you're going to be talking about some of this stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, man, that's exactly right. I mean, I think that, I think that, you know, we, uh, there needs to be room for both. I was not, I was saved in a one-on-one gathering, a one-on-one encounter. So I, I can lead with that. Like, gotta have room for both. At the same time, that does not mean that they're both equally as effective in terms of the numbers. Hmm. Most churches, you ask people to raise their hand. Hey, did you get saved with a preacher in a crowd? I've done it a bunch of times. 90% of everybody in the room raises their hand. That's not wrong. It's not more exciting that I was saved in a one-on-one encounter. Um, Hmm. You know, somebody that had an evangelism gift was using that. That's awesome. Not everybody is. So, 
anyway, I, I think that um, that's all exactly right what you're saying. Yeah, we're doing a conference October 24th and 25th called Breaking Barriers. The website is Breaking Growth Barriers. Uh, we wanted to put that word growth in there just so everybody knew exactly what we were going to be talking about. So breakinggrowthbarriers.com. You can sign up. Um, we're going to be doing it. It's a, it's a day and a half conference. We've got some really innovative stuff we're going to do at this conference. But the conference is geared toward two things. Number one, high-level thinking in terms of trying to help pastors shake some of the guilt, shame, icky corporate stuff around church growth so that they can be free to run harder. Um, this is no joke. This is not, this is not me. This is not hyperbolic. Um, I've, I've had about 10 guys that we've worked with, coached, hung out with. And when I'm telling you the scales kind of fall off, it's like tears kind of fall off scales mm-hmm. fall off where it's like, man, you're freeing me to be able to run and get away from all this stuff that I've picked up along the way from all of the, whatever, you know, just the culture of around growth and Christianity and all that. And it's led to fruit, man. Like I could tell you a bunch of stories of guys who, man, their churches are baptizing more people. They're more, they're excited. They're they're And, and a lot of it has come just from that, that shift in your mind of going like, this is not, I mean, if, if there is no church growth as God see it without disciple making, I mean, there, there isn't. So we're, we're seeing people come from death to life. That's not gross. That's not icky. That's exciting. Let's be excited about it. So that, and then the second thing, man, is just very, um, very practical. We're going to talk about, you know, some flywheel uh, language around, you know, how you set up strategies for your church to grow and and that kind of stuff. So we're going to be doing a lot of breakouts, very practical. I'll be leading a lot of it. Um, our team will be leading a lot of it. And uh, that's, yeah, we're excited about it. Excellent. So again, just make sure we have some of the details out there so that everybody hears it again, October 24th and 25th. Uh, it's going to be in Greensboro at your church facility, right? In Greensboro at our in Greensboro at our um, at our home location. Our, our prime location is um, uh, off Regional Road. All that stuff's on the website, breakinggrowthbarriers.com. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be good. Excellent, and people can still register for the yes, conference. Yes, you can. Yeah, you can register all the way up till. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't register like maybe the you know the week of, but if we can, right. you know, go ahead and get in. So excellent. Excellent. Well, Andrew, we appreciate you so much being on here uh, with us. It's an excellent conversation. I really appreciate when we get to think critically about uh, perhaps some of the missteps we've made in the way we discuss things or the language that we use and how it matters and perhaps trying to emphasize one thing, but in doing so, de-emphasizing something else. Right. And trying to figure out what some of the relationship of these things are. Uh, I look forward uh, to the conference and hearing more about how this kind of talk really spurs on some of that critical engagement with the issue that we've discussed here. Thank you again so much for being with us. For those of you who are listening, we really appreciate you doing so. Uh, As always, feel free, if this has been beneficial, to share it with others. Uh, You can find us at all the places where you find podcasts and find us on all the social media outlets as well. Uh, We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments. Uh, And again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Southeastern wants you to be equipped to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. That's why we offer our Master of Divinity degree, 
which provides rigorous biblical and theological training for your current and future ministries. Our Master of Divinity offers broad ministerial training while facilitating a deep engagement with the Bible, all within a textual community that focuses on spiritual formation and ministry preparation. Come be shaped as a Great Commission Christian and experience theological education to the fullest. Visit sebts.edu forward slash mdiv to learn more.